I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. The Enneagram is a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I am a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and with me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We have, for the first time ever, another expert on nines on the show. Excellent. The compliment. More nines. So it is all about the nines today. We are joined by the fantastic Marlena Graves. Welcome, Marlena. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. And I did tell you, Jeff, my husband's a philosophy professor. What? Yeah. Where does he teach? He teaches. Well, he his concentration was uh, epistemology and ethics. So he pretty much teaches medical ethics sometimes. Intro to philosophy, ethics, philosophy of religion. Yeah. Bang. Excellent. What, what school is he at? He is at, um, we're near Toledo, Ohio. He's at the University of Finley, which is a regional school here. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good times. That's excellent times. Um, well, when we have one big Enneagram powwow and everybody brings their families, he and I will go into a corner and just talk epistemology. Yes, you can. Absolutely. And we, we will love it all day long. And the rest of us will leave you in that corner. It'll be fine. <laughs> Marlena, this, uh, you are the author of The Way Up is Down. Yes. And you have a new book coming out as well. Yeah. Uh, it's the 40 Days on Being a Nine with uh, InterVarsity. It comes out February 23rd. So you are the third of our interviews of experts on their type uh, who are part of this series. This series is wonderful. Edited by Suzanne Stabile. And um, have you gotten a chance to meet the other authors, do things with the other authors? I have not gotten a chance to do things um, because of the pandemic, but I have on Zoom. I've met them on Zoom. We all kind of met together, talked about, um, I think it was in, I can't remember when, uh, September of 2020 or maybe August. And then um, I see them on social media. So yes, we've had a brief conversation um, as part of the authors in this series with InterVarsity Press hosting that Zoom conversation. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, since we're talking about nines, what's the uh, what's the skinny on nines, Marlena? Well, that's a good question. Um, first, I want to say to nines that might be listening, excuse me, or those that know and love nines, is that like any number on the Enneagram, we're not all going to be the same. And, you know, I'm Puerto Rican, so maybe there's a little bit more fire. But I, uh, um, nines are, you know, the peacemakers of, of the bunch. Uh, we can see truths and goodness from a variety of angles. I think that we also see the goodness in people and try to pull that out. At least I do. And I think we are can be leaders, except that we aren't going to call attention to ourselves, usually. And that could be good and bad. Um, nines want other people to flourish, and we 
as we're trying to seek peace and make peace, we uh, blend with other people. And so, you know, if we were all going out with our families and say, hey, what do you want to go out to eat? And I might not say, um, I don't want to go to a certain place. And nine sometimes have trouble expressing their desires because they don't want to put anyone else off. But in not wanting to put other people off in their lives, because you want a peaceful atmosphere, you want peace on the inside, you can neglect yourself. And that's one of the vices of nine is self-neglect. Vice is slothfulness, they say. People think that could be like physical laziness, but it could be lack of love. Our vice could be lack of love for ourselves and lack of love for others through maybe neglect, uh, neglecting things that might be important. And so I think nines are, you know, people say there's a little bit about of us and everything, but we're at the crown of the Enneagram. So nines can have troubles knowing, well, what number am I? Cause I, for example, I think I'm a nine with an eight wing. And so I could see some challenging in me. And so some, it could be really hard for nines to figure out who they are because they could see a little bit about it, everything. And so, so to summarize, I think that nines are, they seek peace so much internally and externally, and they're great diplomats. They're great at bringing people together, but the way that we neglect ourselves, um, you know, we can get angry. And so I might not express my anger or upset to a friend or to my husband, but, and people say, you know, they always tell me all the time, Marlene, you're so patient. You're so gentle. I'm like, well, I feel like there's a fire firecrackers inside of me. I don't know how it comes off peaceful to you, but you know, I'm going to take you at your word. But if I keep pushing down and repressing my opinion or what I think about something, I'll explode. And that's not, yeah beautiful, like, you know, cause that happens with my husband. And that's something about admitting the truth about nines. Like you need to tell the truth about how you're feeling, even though it makes you feel uncomfortable and it's going to cause conflict because if you don't, it can be a lot worse. Boom. You got anything to add there teach on just basic definitions to get us rolling with nines? I think that was a good covering of a lot of the gamut, like the anger sort of underneath the surface and, like going along to get along, they say that a lot, but uh, I I like the the explanation that like it's it's more about avoiding conflict, not wanting to to push other people, and not really wanting to be pushed too much. It's like we want things to be easy and smooth, and like we could all just enjoy our lives. Let's 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 make things easier. So yeah, not being picky, like that's a funny thing. Like yeah. Like, that's not to be overly picky about stuff. Like, okay, right. you want this kind of food. You want, that's fine. That's fine. Um, Let's get yeah. that. It's fine. I'll find something I want. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I'll roll with it. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, two nines, I, I guess I've neglected to say, TJ, remind me of something is that like we get along with most kinds of people. I think that's a positive about nine. We can get along with all sorts of people. Right. Um, some people might be a little bit harder than others. Sure. But we have a spectrum of people that we get along with. Right. Mm. To, to jump into your book, uh, what we're going to do is, is highlight 20 quotes from the book and just talk shop about them. Um, in the intro, one of the big things that I noticed is you dove, it seemed to me that you were diving right into the heart's message for nines, which is um, that your presence matters. A lot of the intro ends up kind of having that spirit to it and some specific language. You say we are indeed unique gifts to the world as nines, uh, as is each person reflected by each number. But nines in particular need to know that because in our unhealthy states, we disconnect ourselves. I'm so glad you are coming along for this nine ride. And it struck me that that was very much a, your presence matters, even in this 
author reader communication event taking place. You got yeah. thoughts on uh, on that heart's message and um, wanting your presence to matter? I I know what it's like to feel invisible or rendered invisible for a variety of reasons, right? You could talk about background, grew up in poverty, woman, you know, you can say all the reasons. Nine, maybe I'm not as um, flamboyant as someone else. And so, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the attention. But I, I know what it's like to feel invisible. And I want to make sure that my readers don't feel invisible or under, underestimate themselves. And I'd love to hear what TJ thinks in a second. But a few years ago, actually, and, you know, my first book came out in 2014. It, uh, it's called Beautiful Disaster, Finding Hope in the Midst of Brokenness. But after that, I was like, I don't really have anything to say. I don't, you know, I have some friends that they just churn out books like almost every year. And for me, I wanted, I want to be able to speak from the life that I live, number one. But also, I don't want to write something just to put something out there, to put shallow words out into the world, just to say I have another book, because I think words are important and I want to put what I believe is really good stuff out. But there came a time after I wrote my first book, I'm like, you know, I was very discouraged. I'm like, why write another book? Because there's lots of people that are saying similar things to I, that I am. And, you know, the social media is crowded with voices. It's, you know, like a California highway. It's so busy. So I was like struggling with even whether I should be writing again. And at one point I was praying and asking the Lord, like about this constantly contemplating it. And I felt God say to me, you are writing um, not because, you know, don't worry about how much your book sells, whatever. If you don't write, you're burying your talents. It's easy. I think for nine to bury our talents because we might think we have one. And that's another thing about nines. I, it's like, I can see the good things in other people, but I have a harder time seeing it in myself. So the only reason that I wrote even started writing the way up is down or even this Enneagram uh, daily reflections is because I'm not bearing my talents. Writing is a ministry for me and it's a way, it's a way to preach. I preach with the pen or speak with the pen or narrate, narrate with the pen. And so it's really important to me that every person in front of me that I come into contact with feels seen, but that might be tied to a little bit too, because I know what it's like to feel unseen. And I don't know if uh, TJ has any experience with that, but I want my readers to feel seen and anyone that I interact with on a personal basis to feel the hospitality of Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Thoughts on, uh, on your presence mattering. Yeah. When I was in high school, um, I was, I was heavily into performance and, uh, one of my, the, the one thing that I was in all four years was uh, show choir. And I remember one day complaining to our teacher who I was very close with about how, much better one of the other students was and like it's just not it's just not fair like like share some talent with the rest of us come on and uh one of the things that she said was uh there will always be someone who's better than you and that message sort of became this this reminder that that can easily go i i think it landed with me because i i sort of as a nine i feel it a little bit more intensely that that my voice can easily be lost in the sea of other voices. And, and I, I also am a teacher and I've been told by other people that I'm, I'm a good teacher. And there's a part of me that says, well, okay, that's fine, but I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good as that person. And it, it's not necessarily a, um, I'm not down on myself about that. It's just an acknowledgement of the reality. I, I can't memorize 
my teachings. I, I can't. Uh, I go way off track and I have no idea what I'm saying. And But if I let that knowledge, that, that very real acknowledgement that someone else is better than me or someone else is louder than me or uh, more well-known than me, if I let that decide for me that I'm not going to teach, then I'm just wasting myself. Like it, it doesn't mean that I'm not good to say that someone else is better. And it's really easy for me to allow my slothfulness and my lack, my neglect for myself to say, well, somebody else is going to do this better than I am. So I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like that a lot. Bang. The image of feeling intensely uh, comes out in a, a handful of your quotes. One of one of them, building on what TJ was saying, struck me because nines are going to take the world in through their body. They're going to respond to the world through their thinking and feeling center. And you said this about folks online who are your re- in you, who you are in relationship with. Sometimes I feel like I'm standing in the center of a circle amid a family fighting, watching those surrounding me, uh, ge- uh, gesticulating preening, scheming, manipulating, shouting, launching verbal hand grenades, or calmly and honestly sharing what they believe. And as a nine, I can see multiple sides. I would love to hear your thoughts on taking in the world in through, that felt like a very intuitional way. It wasn't just that you're, you're hearing these fightings be, uh, coming forth in those ways, but it's almost like your intuitive center was feeling that coming out of those people that you care about coming from all sides. I was hoping you could speak to that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, people talk, talk about in, nines are very, um, they say we're like mystical people. We can intuit people really well. Kind of, I think you just rapidly size up someone and see what kind of human being, what they project, um, good or bad. We're talking about online. You know, I think people carelessly lob grenades at other people. And I think that conflict, I just kind of take it all in. Uh, Like I, and maybe, you know, nines kind of embody and it's not good, you know. Feel it in our gut. yeah, Yeah, I don't think we're made to, any person is made to take in the amount of information that we have in the world. You know, they talk about the 24 hour news cycle. I think it's too much for a a human being and some people can deal it deal with it better than others but i think it's really hard with nines because we do and we do feel it in our gut and um and so it i think it disorients it can disorient me i have to step back i'm like i need to take a break go out into the wilderness and solitude and silence metaphorically or literally um so that i can be reoriented yeah well said you have anything yeah. to add there teach no that's that's exactly right that's i mean looking ahead toward us talking about stance like that, that is a big part of why we withdraw is because like, like it's, it's physically too much to handle sometimes. And we got to step back to let our guts get back in order. The thing that strikes me about all the types is that there's, and you, you hit this in your, in, in your book at one point, but there's an element to all of us that reflects part of the heart of God and the desire for shalom, the desire for peace, is, is part is a wonderful element of the divine that's seen in nines. And then there's that element of when real conflict comes, the radar of a nine, it seems, is more highly tuned to that, that yeah. charge of energy than, than others. And one of the things that struck me about your book was how often you brought up conflict. Mm-hmm. So I brought up conflict because 
conflict within myself or conflict on the outside. I, um, because I am a nine, I, I guess nines could be tempted to self-medicate with alcohol or drugs. I don't know if more than others. Uh, I know some people struggle with that. It, it, that's one way you might try to bring peace with all that stuff that you're embodying, or it could be something you could work yourself to death. Uh, or, you know, neglect other people through working 90 hours a week. I mean, that's another way that nines, again, sloth doesn't mean necessarily you're lazy. It's self-neglect or maybe neglecting. And so we can, because we do feel, and, and you're right, because our radar is very attuned, uh, we try to find ways to deal with it. What I do is just like, you know, I don't live in Colorado, like you guys, but, you know, I go out into nature to anchor myself and be reoriented but I can see why somebody, people would be tempted to use, you know, a substance with the way that the world is. Sure. It's finding those spaces that bring down, what would that be? Bring down the feeling that things are out of control, that things are in disorder or that's, I'm not even using the right word. I want to use something that's not conflict, but is it the case that you're saying that escaping to nature ends up being in part because you're trying to find spaces that feel as though they have a, uh, a calm to them. Yeah. I mean, if things are chaotic, you know, we take in the energy of the other people. So if they're like in conflict battling, um, it's like, we're a sponge, at least I'm a sponge. I'm like, Oh, I can read the room and I sense what's going on. And, you know, I might've come in and just be totally fine, but I'm sponging up like, like you said, people's energy or conflict or tension. And that kind of can put me off if I'm not in the best way and I need to figure out how to deal with it. And so, you know, nines, at least, you know, I'm not looking for a fight and we might get into this later about um, some people say I have like a prophetic type gift, like a nine with that has like a prophetic type. Uh, so I will say things when I see oppression happening and stand up for it, but it's not like I'm looking for a fight or to put people in their place. I'm looking to restore that peace and shalom. I mean, yeah. it's not like I'm God, but I'm trying to. No, you're working for that good end. Mm-hmm. Be a peacemaker. You got thoughts on that, Teach? It is really, really easy for us to seek to essentially turn off the conflict that we feel. Like they, that's that's what narcotizing is about. It's it's we're basically looking for a pillow to to smother the conflict and to just get rid of it and and finding healthier ways to maintain that to to sort of find that balance, like being out in nature. That is, that is a big thing that a lot of us do. And yeah. And we're, we're looking for ways to get away from that conflict, but too much. I just, just escaping it doesn't make it actually go away. Right. And some people yeah. nap a lot because it's like, right. that's the only time. And I remember, you know, seasons where I'm like, Oh, I just want to nap because it's just too much. And that's the only time it's shut off. Mm-hmm. But I don't take a lot of naps at this point in my life. I, I was more tired when I had my daughters were little. And along with that is we spend so much time, we spend our energy trying to make peace. So we're exhausted, you Mm -hmm. know, because the world is chaotic about us and in us sometimes. Right. The uh, occasionally TJ and I will dive into nerd culture and, and we'll type fictional characters. When we did um, Marvel heroes, our, our favorite example was of the Hulk who is just trying to keep things calm is frequently going out into nature just to avoid everybody. But when anger comes out, it comes out in this explosive, uncontrollable way. 
you said something to that extent. You were telling a story of rejection and said it was it was also the way of avoiding conflict. I was so upset by what this person was doing to me. I was scared I'd explode on them if allowed to let my pain hurt leak out. I didn't say anything at first because I wasn't sure I could control my anger once I unleashed it. I would love for you guys to talk about the experience of not being able to control your anger. Well, I, I, I've said to people before, I feel like the Incredible Hulk. So that's like spot on, like, yes. um, you know, exactly. I've said that publicly. And so, you know, I talked about before I want to, I want people to feel seen. I want to feel seen. I also don't want to harm people in the ways that I've been harmed. So when I feel like, um, you know, I said that like Mount St. Helens anger about bursting coming from my gut, like, you know, up into my chest and through my mouth, if I'm going to say something, I try to hold it back because I don't want to harm or assault people with my words, you know, God forbid, physically, I don't think, I don't think that's been a temptation, but you know, I'm sure it is for some people. And so I, I am scared of hurting people. I don't want to hurt creation. I don't want to hurt another human being. Uh, you know, I feel bad about killing spiders, right? So I are <laughs> insects in my house, you know, I try to put them outside, you know, like the, in India, the giants, the giants, you know, they uh, are nice to the animals. I mean, but I don't like uncontrolled anger. I can see what it can do. And I don't want to be a channel of uncontrolled anger. So that's why when I'm being hurt, I mean, hurt, especially, yeah, by people that are religious, um, it makes me even angrier because I'm like, you shouldn't be acting this way. And right. I don't mm-hmm. do anything. I sometimes don't say anything because I don't know what will come out. And so I back off. But the problem is that, you know, the time passes or I keep putting it off after that initial, you know, uh, aggression or microaggression against me or, you know, be- harmful thing. And so, uh, yeah, that's, I'd love to hear what TJ thinks. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately I have had experiences where, uh, I have hurt people, <laughs> uh, done things, broken things. I also, um, experienced that, uh, seeing that as, as a child, uh, watching, my my father uh, hurt things. He he wasn't abusive towards us, but he would like throw chairs across the room and stuff. And 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 seeing that start to manifest itself in my life as as a teenager, as as a as a child and as a teenager, like that became a thing that I was am constantly aware of. That that I when my anger rises to the surface and actually is able to come out, I am not able to control it. It's like my my cognizant brain sort of just takes a nap and it's just a, a rage monster. And I don't, I don't know what might happen. Um, and yeah, it's um, countering that with my continual and, and ever present desire to avoid conflict. It now becomes this th- experience at, at, both extremes where I'm trying to maintain peace and also this rage monster is going on. And so, yeah, just, just trying doing everything I can to make sure that that rage monster doesn't actually get out of its cage, which, which often means that I uh, do not assert myself when I'm supposed to. Right. When anger is appropriate. Because I, the anger that will actually come out will not be appropriate. 
Right. I, I can really identify with that. Like if I'm going to let you have, I mean, you will have it if I let you have it. And so I'm trying to restrain my, I mean, like the incredible Hulk, you know, you yep. hear the yep. they go, ah. Yeah. I mean, people closest to us, they will see that anger, yeah. <laughs> you know, family right. members. Right. Um, and, and even someone might say, well, even like what we conceive of as rage, and I'm not saying it's not rage. And, and you know, some people, they might throw something, hopefully you're not someone, you know, but some people might think that's gentle anger. I don't know. Like it kind of depends on the nine, right? I don't sure. know how our anger compares to other people. You know, I've right. known people that um, that are not nines. Uh, people that I know, they just started breaking plates on the floor and throwing them on mm. the floor. Okay, I haven't done that, but <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I guess I want to be able to not hurt anyone and control my anger. And so that's why I don't let it out. Because I, like you said, I don't know if I can control it. But at the same time, like you just said, there are times where we have to let it, we need to be able to assert ourselves and say, that's right. wrong. I'm not going to put up with it. Right. And sometimes in it, it's, it's not even necessarily about doing good for others or things around us. Sometimes it's really literally just about protecting ourselves. Yes. We yes. should be able to stand up for ourselves. Right. And avoiding anger at all costs is going to let harm come to ourselves sometimes. Okay. I didn't put this together that how your uh, life as a young person and how you saw anger exhibited in others might affect how you think about how your anger comes out. Uh, my mom was a nine. My mom uh, died just just recently. Her, her dad was an alcoholic, so was her mom. And their family dynamic, I imagine, was filled with a lot of passion and, and anger. And I imagine the way that she internalized her own anger in terms of expressing that in a family situation was very much informed by what she had experienced in her own home. We've talked to TJ and I talk about this frequently here recently that the nine's orientation to time and their stance uh, draws on the past. Um, it's a, the withdrawn types all, uh, you can explain it better. It's I'm missing it as a, as I'm thinking about this right now, but acting in such a way that you're drawing on the past in the present moment. Mm-hmm. How would you describe looking, that, TJ? Looking to the past to inform how how we um, <clears throat> make decisions. I know how to keep the peace based on how I've been keeping the peace in the past. Yeah, I know what works to maintain the calm around me because it has worked in the past. I would be real curious how many nines, in terms of thinking about their own anger, think about episodes of either their family life or you know, friendship life and seeing anger in others and saying to themselves in the present, that's not going to be me or I can't, I can't become that. You know what I mean? True. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, the, the night or the past frames are, I think that's exactly right. Like I, the past is my frame, you know, for, uh, you know, to some extent I have a goal for the future, but it's always like informs me. Mm. Uh, maybe that's why I love history, but, yeah, I think you you could say, I don't want to be that way. That's not the way I want to present. It's not the life I want to live based on what I've seen in the past. And I mean, again, I don't like people unleashing their anger on me, or, you know, at the store or, you know, you know, some people are very freewheeling with their anger, criticism and sarcasm. I'm not, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm a sarcastic person at all. Like I don't say at all, but I'm not really sarcastic. And so, um, you know, it's, 
it's what do they say sarcasm is like low-lying rage or anger but you know you just let it out some people are freewheeling with that um and sometimes i really admire some people not necessarily that are sarcastic but they could just tell you know that was wrong i mean maybe right. eights do you know you need to knock it off right like right that, you know, that, I talk about that with my family but not in freedom the with bluntness i don't even yeah. understand how people do that it doesn't make any sense to me yeah I mean, I'm maybe blunt with my family, uh, like members, but I feel like I have that freedom not to treat them badly, but I, you know, they see me for how I am, but on the public sphere, it's a little bit harder just to mm. not, you know, mm. I do say things though. Um, I do say things though to people that are behaving badly, public figures and leaders. Um, so, um, but I try not to attack their humanity. Right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about once in terms of wanting peace, uh, based on, on this discussion, the, the deep desire for peace seems to overwhelm desires for other things. And there's a, there's a quote that, that you had here that was, it's so hard sometimes to know what we want as Enneagram nines because of the ease with which we merge with others. Are we wanting what we want, what others want, or what we think others want for us. Um, I had a question for both of you on this. When you are fully secure with somebody else, you understand that, that there's not going to be any conflict. You understand that based on your past, you all are really solid right now. Are you allowed? To, is it easier to get in touch with what you want for other things that aren't just the peace and calm that, that is a primary? I think so. I mean, if I feel secure... Like you said, you know, I, I feel free to share my opinions, even those that aren't the greatest, like um, saying, I don't like that. That makes me upset. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I do. I do. But I, I you know, there's, um, I can't think of very few people that are in that category for me. So, Right. And is that, is that because you, there's still, there's still 10%, 20% that you're, you're concerned might be places of tension? I think it's, can I trust you with who I am, right? And so um, I've written a little bit on social media about friendship. Like, you know, now everyone's a friend and I'm like, well, that they used to be acquaintances. What you call friends were acquaintances. You know, if if I think like my 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 own family members, my brothers and my sister, like, you know, I, I know not everyone has familiar relationship with them like this, but I can share everything with them. Um, you know, my husband and I have a couple of friends where I could just be completely myself, like a place to relax and let down. So when I feel completely safe, yeah, I think I have to feel safe with someone and secure, like you said, and secure in that relationship. Because as a nine, I find that I listen to people and I love to listen to people a lot. But there are some people that never ask me about me. Mm. And that's fine. Maybe they just need someone to talk to. And so I find like um, I'm a listener a lot and that's good because if I have something to say, I'll say it. People need people, other people need a safe place and I'm glad I can be that for them. Mm -hmm. But if, if someone's always mm -hmm. never asking me about me, I probably will not share uh, the things that make me upset. I'm not going to disclose because I'm like, I don't really feel like you're interested in me. So, you know, and it's okay. You might just need someone to talk to. I'm happy to be that, but right. It's, it's easy to say that like, I, I am comfortable expressing those things with my, with my spouse. I'm comfortable expressing those things with 
some of my very closest friends, but it always takes practice. Mm-hmm. Like it, we, we didn't get there automatically. And, and even in some of my closest relationships, it still takes practice for me to say, disagree with them. So like if they want something that I don't want, or if they want to go somewhere that I don't want to go, it takes practice for me to be comfortable saying that's not what I want. And it, it usually isn't about like, like dinner. It's not about dinner. It's, it's about bigger things or things that could actually disrupt the relationship. It takes practice for me to be more comfortable saying how I actually feel simply because my default is to not. That's experience from others. It sounds like it, um, Merlina, you also write about that in terms of your self and the idea of self forgetfulness also comes up throughout the book. And you paired that a couple of times. It seemed to me with sloth that the sin that's traditionally associated with nines, that of sloth was also um, paired with self forgetfulness and that this is an unloving act that somehow I'm not loving myself if I'm forgetting myself. And I was hoping you, you could speak to that. Yeah. I mean, so there are some people or maybe numbers that are more self-centered and they need to learn to be others oriented and mm-hmm. self-sacrificial, but nines are often, I mean, we have our selfishness. I mean, let's not pretend that we're holy in every way, but yeah. Or, you know, at the time, you know, it took me a long time to say, you know, I want to go back to school. Like my husband, who was very supportive. Oh my gosh. Like he'll watch the girls. I I have a 100% supportive husband. People are astounded at how, how, I don't say how supportive it is. Very egalitarian, you know, um, for me, for that. So it's not like I have to pull teeth to do anything, but it took me a long time to figure out I wanted to go back to school. Because I'm like, okay, you're going to go get your PhD. I'll just, you know, get a job wherever, earn money. You know, I'm happy about that. While you go to school, because I want you, you're good at this, you got to do it. Um, And so I'll just take jobs on the side wherever we end up, you know, bloom where you're planted. And then when I'm like, okay, I want to go back to school now. That actually, when I figured out I want to go back to school was like 10 years ago. (laughs) So, but then something happened where my husband used to work. And so we're like, I'm like, I'm ready to go right school. And he's like, go ahead and apply, apply to this school. I'm like, well, it's not going to matter if I apply to this school because you might get a job in Portland, Oregon. And if I apply where I live to a job in Ohio, I mean, to school in Ohio and I get in, it really does not, it's not going to work out well. And so, okay, I'm going to, we'll wait to see where you land and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do again. And then I got pregnant with my uh, second and third daughters and I couldn't go to school, but it took me a really long time, I think, not because I just deferred, deferred to my husband, but because of just self-doubt. Like, is this really what I want to do? Am I going to go out on a limb for it? I mean, I'm good at a lot of different things. And so I think it takes nines longer, maybe, to know even what they want. Hmm. Because, again, you can see so many. Pers- it's, it's like being able to see so many perspectives is great if you're a diplomat, but it can also be paralyzing. Yeah. And if you have different gifts, you know, you're like, oh, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. But like to really like you, you kind of mentioned in the beginning is or a little bit ago, is it what I want? Is it what other people want for me? Is it what they think I should do? Or is it really what I'm good at and I want to do? And so that's a way of self-neglect. And what TJ just mentioned too, about when you're close to each other, 
or to people not saying what you think freely. Mm-hmm. That's self-neglect. And again, if you neglect yourself, then it can build resentment and then you can explode, you know, that anger again. It's like a self-perpetuating cycle. Like, well, I neglected myself because I wanted to do what, you know, I wanted to have peace with this person, with my family or whatever. And then I resent it. I resent it because I put myself off. So um, now I'm not saying that happened with my husband because he's always been supportive, but sometimes I, I wished I would have, I think I'm in school at the right time right now, but I wonder what it would have been like if I were already done because <laughs> I'm a lot 10 years older than I was. Sure. So. Well, it's like, it, it's, it's easy. It's very, very easy to let circumstances or others needs or, or even just others possibilities be more important than what we want. You said that very well. I would agree. Yeah. And, and in the beginning, it's usually fine. But then a few years down the line on big decisions and we still haven't done the things that we actually want to do because someone else, we let someone else drive. Mm-hmm. It's like, like the, the thing with your husband uh, and, and his job. In the beginning, that like the very first time you thought, well, supporting you is more important right now. That's a totally reasonable decision. But now it's 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very easy for us to let a lot of time go go by without doing the things that we actually want to do because we're trying to be, we're, we're subconsciously letting other people's lives be more important than our own. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's neglect. It could be, you know, I mean, yeah. I mean the sloth device, it could be lazy. You don't want to just engage because it's exhausting and it brings up so much, or it could be like you just said that you just let other people, drive because Mm -hmm. you want things to work out for them but that neglect in the end can come back to bite you right (laughs) and you know make you upset at other people right you describe this in one of your posts as as holding back Mm -hmm. and frame it as a question why do you hold back nine uh you have so much to offer and you answer your own question you say i fear running over people with whatever power intellect skill and ability i have i know what it's like to be run over and rendered invisible the problem, there's kind of an opposite of the heart's message there. Um, the problem is I held back for so long that I inadvertently rendered myself invisible. When we fail to speak up, we're doing ourselves and the world a disservice. It is dishonest to not speak up for fear of rocking the boat or displeasing others. And as with many of these books, uh, well, with all the books, each of the reflections has exercises at the end. And the exercise here I've, I've uh, popped for me, you, based on that quote, had a meditation that said, do you make your desires known? Specifically, what's one area in your life where you need to speak up? I thought that was a great exercise for a nine. And you got any further thoughts on holding back? Yeah, Um there's a lot of, I think, for nines, again, I'll speak from a nine, things that might hold back. Like for a woman, oh, you're being too assertive or, you know, you're, uh, or if you're too assertive, then you're called a bad word, right? <laughs> you right. know, or you get your anger. And to be honest, like I've said this before publicly, I'm like, I, I have gotten to the point where I'm not going to hold back because of someone's in regard to men, no offense, you know, against you or a listener, but like to hold your hand for your fragile ego, you know what I mean? Like, oh, they feel insecure. So I'll step back a little bit. A lot of my life, I'll step back because the men around me feel insecure, you know, or I don't want them to, I mean, 
a strong woman. So I, I want them not to feel in. Again, I'm thinking about them, like right. never thinking that, like what's being done to me, mm. right? And so I'm always constantly outward focused on other people, but never thinking about the detrimental effects it has on me. And so a lot of my life, I do hold, I've held back because I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to run you over again, because I'm thinking about everyone else's feelings. And then I'm not saying I do it perfectly. At some point I decided, you know, when I said I've had, you know, a mentor, I had a student like Marlena, I don't know. Remember she was, uh, someone called her to get a reference for me for a job. They're like, you know, what is some weakness Marlena has, or, you know, has a reference. She's like, I think she holds back. I think she could be a lot more powerful leader than she is, but she holds back because of like this very thing. Like Mm -hmm. it's a true story. Like I don't, she doesn't want to hurt people, but I think she's, I think of like a Niagara Falls, trying to hold Niagara Falls back. Um, There's some beauty to it. And I'm not talking about like the anger. I'm just talking about our gifts Mm -hmm. and talents and abilities. And so it's been a number of years, but I got to the point where like, you know, I don't know how long I have to live. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's the rest of my life. I don't want to keep holding back. Um, And so as far as like using my talents and gifts, I don't think I hold back, but I would say that I probably do in conversation sometimes, you know, because I don't want to dominate or whatever you are married to a five sean's five yeah mm-hmm. both withdrawn types yeah what is the dynamic in your house uh, on that front then since both of you withdraw uh, to get what you want well that's a good question um well i think we give each other space you know so you know we've been we've been married 20 years so we don't have, and again, this is not, uh, again, a judgment call. This is just our, our, we are mind mates. We have great stimulating conversations, you know, and that keeps us going. I mean, I remember sometimes saying, uh, you know, the first five years of marriage, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like seven ten in the morning. And we're talking not just about the problem of evil, like just weird things. I'm like at seven ten a.m. before we're all getting ready to go. I'm like, I don't think there's one person in the whole world that's having this conversation. It's just so bizarre, you know, at this time. <laughs> and so we have had fascinating conversations in our marriage. So we can like, you know, you know, I'm here doing this podcast right now. He's with the girls, but we can be doing our own thing in separate sides of the house and not feel like you're neglecting me. We're like, no, we each need our space. He needs a space. I need a space. It's a little bit difficult because we are withdrawn types, but our daughters are not. They're like engagement types. Yeah. So, or like sometimes uh, he said, he's like, you're like, you're more like a monastic person, Marley. We're monastics and our daughters are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like they want to be, and we love them and they want to be with us and by us. And, and we know they're growing up. That won't always happen. And so I think, as a nine, I can respect that in him because I know what it's like to feel withdrawn. Um, however, I'm a little bit more um, as a nine, I and, and I don't have the five type down, but I was like, quit withdrawing. You know, you need to, you know, whatever it is, you need to step out a little bit. So I'm a little bit less with, I mean, maybe more with less <laughs> on the withdrawn scale. I'm probably not at you know, and he's a functional extrovert, you know, being a professor, he's always, he's like, I feel like it's a performance. So I'm on, 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 and I come home and I'm just exhausted, except during yeah. COVID, which is, he just from home, but it can be, if I think he's withdrawing in a um, place where I don't think he should be, then there's conflict, you know, like, right. and I will tell him. And, and then as a five, he's like, 
uh, you're making me feel like I'm incompetent. So (laughs) (laughs) that is not the way to don't be direct with me about uh, not indirect, but don't be so calling it out or maybe challenging as the nine, eight wing. And so I would say that we engage, you know, with our daughters, he has taken more of the load right now because I've been at school, you know, I've done this podcast and stuff, but I think we're both more exhausted because we don't have time to withdraw anywhere. (laughs) So, um, but, you know, and I'll be like, okay, Marlena, you need, you're going out to a retreat in Colorado or something. He'll take the girls for five days, nothing. And we're not like, oh, our relationship's broken. Like I can be gone five days, six days. I mean, I miss him and the girls, but it's not any. um, You're okay being apart from each other. We don't think that there's lack of love. Of course we call if we can. So I have a a question for you all uh, on the dynamics of your marriage on that front, because it sounds like you have this down, but you, there's a, one of the posts that had to do with not asking for what you need. And I was, I was doing a, I was, I was teaching staff at a high school yesterday. And one of the fives mentioned that when she was in labor, the doctor asked her what, what level of pain was she on in the one to 10, you know, pain level chart and she goes oh i'm a two and her husband just stepped in immediately and she goes and he said she's a seven she's a seven right now and that the withdrawn types not being able to ask for what they need struck me as an interesting when you had said something similar in terms of your own experience in the hospital you wrote i didn't want to be that overbearing patient so i didn't ask for help until there was an emergency, there seemed to be a real overlap there. And I was hoping you could speak to that both in terms of yourself and in terms of um, being married to a withdrawn type. Do you have a problem asking for, for what you need in that, in that relationship? Um, I don't with Sean and I don't, and this is maybe you, you can help me understand this. Um, can you put <laughs> that with them? I think we're both honest with each other. You know, he's like, this is hurting me. Or, you know, I really would like you to like, you know, when, when, when I'm asking him to not be withdrawn about something and he's like, what I'm hearing you say is that I'm incompetent. (laughs) And so like, I kind of have to back off and I'm not saying I always do it perfectly and be like, okay, I don't think that I'm communicating that he's incompetent. I'm just saying you need to do something about this. But I think I can see how withdrawn types would not maybe ask for help, but in our, I don't know what, again, I don't know what it, all the factors that affect our relationship, but we usually can say, Hey, he's like, I just need a break. I need a break from the girls. I need, if anything, I think he, and maybe you could tell me more about fives. I know we're talking about nine, but he goes long. I'm like, you really should go on a retreat or go on a break or something. Like just go, Oh, I don't want to spend money. I'm like, are you kidding? Go. And I'm more like, I'm going. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of funny as a nine with him. I'm like, okay, I, I need to go because if I don't go, then things aren't going to be good in my soul or with the family. And I think he kind of is overdue for a lot of those things, but he maybe is feeling a sense of responsibility or other reasons that he doesn't as easily take care of himself as a withdrawn type. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Teach? Well, uh, I, I would be curious if that, if a lot of the, like the comfort you have with each other about expressing what you need is learned behavior. Like, was it that way when you were first in a relationship or is that, has it become very comfortable over 20 years of being together? 
And then I'd also say, like you mentioned it a minute ago, and and this is part of this is mentioned throughout the the book that <clears throat> that you're a, a nine with a strong eight wing, mm-hmm. which brings forth like like nines with a strong eight wing have a much easier time asserting themselves mm-hmm. and and stepping into those places like they like nines typically are avoiding conflict and eights use conflict as a as a way of sort of measuring the room and <clears throat> eights are very very comfortable with conflict so that nine with an eight wing sort of comes together and is this weird sort of like two magnets holding each other uh, at at bay and and so so i i think that like that that drives a lot of like I I do not have a very strong eight wing. I did when I was younger, but I definitely don't now. And so a lot of this stuff is like, Ugh, what you're saying is terrifying to me. <laughs> um, but I I think that eight wing really helps drive that that ability for you to to say what you need. And I I also wonder about like is that learned behavior for you and your husband? I think that's a fair question. I would say you know I remember when we were first started dating, he disclosed some vulnerable thing, you know, it wasn't anything, something about family. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my word. I'm like really impressed with this, this philosopher that's telling me like he was the first to say a vulnerable thing mm, like sure. about something he was heard about. And I was like, wow. Like, and that opened the door for me. Like, you know, gave me the ability to go second and say, Oh yeah. Or, you know, I'm like, he went first with his vulnerabilities and then I felt more comfortable doing that. I would say, you know, as you know, not all nines are alike. And you say some have a more strong one wing. I think you're right. It's probably why I can ask for what I need mm-hmm. as an eight. And then Suzanne Seville said that nine eights are probably the most conflicted on the Enneagram because right. you have that desire to make peace, but you will challenge, in my case, like if people are being oppressed or put down, I will say something. Yeah. Uh, or if, I feel that I am in my marriage. Well, Sean doesn't oppress me. That's let me back up. I want to communicate that. If I have a, <laughs> if I have an opinion, I am I share it freely. Yeah. That's what I mean. So I would think that, you know what, there's probably some of it is learned, our comfort level, you know, saying, Hey, I need this. Can you do this for me? And after 20 years, we're like, okay. When I met him when I was 20 years old, you know, we got married two years, got married when we were 22. When I was 20 years old, I would venture to say I was not comfortable saying, being very vulnerable about what my needs are. So I think that's a very insightful, insightful thing, TJ. At one point, and this goes alongside the virtue that all nines need to pick up, or it would be traditionally the virtue of nines is, is that of action. You put that in a, in a discipline framework. You say in one of your postings, I believe that for me to exercise is an act of love, not only for my body and for myself, but for my family, my God and others. And you call this the discipline of engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, exercise, I imagine conversation, I imagine there's all sorts of places that that discipline are you invited into that discipline, like in your mental life? Like you understand this is a time to act and yet find it difficult? Or is it even coming to that realization is a secondary thing? That was, that was framed strange. I can restate that question if you want. <laughs> I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. When it comes to other people, and I've said this so many times about being oppressed or hurt, whatever that is, I'm like, I'm going to act for you now. You know, I'm not going to wait around. I don't need someone to tell me what the right thing to do is. When it comes to myself, again, putting my, you know, something for myself, 
like I talked about going to school, it could take a little bit longer. Now for exercise, I'm like, yeah, like I can be in a monastery and be quiet. I don't need to, it, I do not like the American rat race. I don't want to be part of the rat race. Being in academia could be a rat race, you know, so I understand all those things. But in those kind of things, I don't think maybe with my eight wing, I could get really busy. I do have a full plate, but I think when it comes to myself acting, not neglecting myself, I think I'm slower to do, but not for other people. <laughs> and so maybe I should afford myself the same thing that I afford others. But, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like that I'm a martyr, but yeah. And, and everything I think, you know, oh yeah, I better do something about this for me. And, you know, it's like stupid things like, okay, everyone in the, I want to make sure everyone else has their hair cut. Then I'll make my appointment for my hair, you know, mm-hmm. or something dumb like that. But that's just how, okay, everyone, let's make sure you have your doctor's appointment. Then I'll make sure I get mine or dentist or whatever. Yeah. So I think I'm willing to act for others and slower to do for myself. But yes, as far as like physical movement, you know, either you're, I'm in momentum and doing it all the time or not. So, you know, it's like, it's hard to be in an in-between. Um, so I don't know if that kind of gets at what you were asking, but. Sure. Yeah. I think the, the word engagement is key there because it's not necessarily about physically doing something. It's not necessarily about literal quote unquote action, mm-hmm. but it's about an engagement in things that matter. Mm-hmm. So like, like I, I hate exercise. I've never been an exerciser. I don't like doing, I hate it in the core of my being. And also I have a, a chronic pain disease, which makes mm-hmm. exercise difficult and sometimes mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm not a big fan of exercise, but also I'm 35 and I, you know, love to eat and I have spent a year in lockdown and I have put on a whole lot of weight. And if I don't start taking, like I have to engage my physical body now and start developing a habit of that or else I will become a 400 pound couch potato. (laughs) And like, and, and it's, it's not necessarily about the physical activity, but it's in engaging my life in a way that one remembers that, that my body is important and my life is important. And two gives me the physical energy I need to do some of the other things that I have to do. Cause I, yeah. I'm, I have a nine month old. I need to be able to take care of her. And if I don't engage life, then I'm not going to be able to take care of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. it's very tempting, you know, with our society and everything that's going on. One of my friends that's a nine that said this, a writer, she's like, you know what? I just want to get under my covers and pull them over my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think maybe the default of a nine to deal with conflict inner and outer. And so, you know, that's the temptation. I think we have to resist. It might not be pulling the covers over your head. It may be however you disengage. Right. Is a temptation uh, for yeah. a very, very, t- tempted for nines or to be like you appear to be present with someone that you're talking you're shaking your head but you're not listening to them at all right you know? right you know and so you can even be disengaged while you appear to be engaged right um, and so and I think nines that, are really good at that yeah, yeah i think that uh you know attention to the present moment they call it mindfulness now but you know like just really being where you are mm-hmm. not in the past not in the future here is yeah. a very good discipline and practice for a nine. Yeah. 
I want to weave those two together. The uh, eights, nines, and ones are all going to experience resistance to the present. I don't know that the other two types, eights and ones, experience resistance to the present in their bodies in the same way. I feel like nines have a physical experience of resistance to the present. I see that in my mom. I see that, yeah, obviously you, you all both, uh, TJ has talked about his uh, pain disease. You've mentioned asthma and the the physicality of resistance I, I, I find real interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I think uh, I mean, our perspective, Jeff, is a little bit tainted because of, A, me and like the, the nines that we're close to. Uh, but there are other nines in our lives that like it's not necessarily disengagement from physically doing things. It's It's disengagement from doing things that matter. And so, so we do know a few nines that are very active people, but they're not necessarily engaged with, and I think uh, one of your posts talked about this. They're not necessarily engaged with their relationships appropriately mm-hmm. or nines that, that uh, like I have one friend that, that she is like, she does so many things all of the time and it's, it almost seems like she doesn't care about the things that she's doing sometimes. Like, like she has a very positive disposition, but when you talk to her, she's just like, well, this is the thing I was doing. And then I did this thing. And, and it, it, it's almost like a, a very active lifestyle that's just moving from one thing to the next, but it's not necessarily engaged in the, the activities that, that she's doing or doing them on purpose. You can be like half hearted. Yeah. Like real busy, but you're not like all in. Right. Cause that's too much energy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'd like to hear more Jeff, what you mean by the physical, like what you were, if you could elucidate a little bit more in your question. So I'd love to be able to answer it a little bit better. I think TJ put his thumb on it that this will not be true of all nines, but it may be true of some nines that when, when some nines are resistant to the present, it comes out as a physical manifestation and even rightly so is, is actually a bodily condition. And, and yeah, that's absolutely true for me. I I should have thrown my mom in there as well. uh, Mm -hmm. Experiencing that same sort of thing that, that the more things became more stress filled in her life near the the end of her her life um her body really broke down and okay. it was it wasn't and it was extended it was like a 15 year breakdown oh, yeah so i don't know if that's a yeah and I, and i i mean we are holistic beings we're mind body and soul and all of that is like i think our type is actually connected to all of those elements of ourselves. So I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't ever want to say this is psychosomatic because I don't think that's how that how we work. Mm-hmm. I do think that your who you are at your core, at your at your most inner self is your Enneagram. Your Enneagram type is there. Mm-hmm. And that it it the life that's flowing out of that place is certainly giving life to the rest of your physicality. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm resistant to the world or I'm resistant to the present in that space, how that manifests in my body. I, I, I don't know what else to say there. If, uh, aside from, it seems like that might be a pattern. I think I can understand what you're saying a little bit for. So like, if like just thinking about 
if you're holding stuff in, you know, whether it's anger or whatever, it's going to come out some way. Mm -hmm. Um, You think you're, you know, you're not, but it'll come out through your body. So that like, like if it's resistance or it's like what, you know, whatever might come out on your shoulders and then maybe in these somatic symptoms or diseases where other people don't have that. It just manifests in your body. And, you know, that, that book, I haven't read it, but the body keeps score and and it just comes out eventually. No, I would agree with that. Things will come out for some people. It comes out on their faces, you know, all of our faces, but like others, it's like in their bones, you're you're in their bodies because again, you use uh, the word resistance. I think yeah, resist trying to hold it together, try to hold that piece together, maybe for nines, and it comes out and it just falls apart, maybe at some point. And I don't know if that's kind of what you're getting at, but well, and even at the most basic level, um, most of the nines that I know need a lot of sleep, yeah, yeah, yeah. because you're so you wait, your energy is put into trying to keep peace, you're exhausted, right? Can you talk about that in terms of keeping peace? It's not just keeping peace in the external environment is it there's a energy that's used on keeping your inner life peaceful yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and and, you know I think about how when we were first married I I was like we are not paying for cable you know Sean we just 75 we we were out in the boondocks when my husband was at Ohio University in southeastern Ohio Uh, because before everything was put online we're like we called someone, hey, do you know of a place to rent? And we just got it wherever our sight unseen. Um, <laughs> and it was out, I mean, it was really out in the country. But anyways, so we couldn't get anything back then, you know, on our antenna, antennas. Like, he's like, oh, I really want to watch the Cleveland Browns, but I can't. And so, uh, but I'm like, oh, I just do not want to get cable. You know, we're just resistant to cable because uh, I didn't want to pay 75 bucks a month or whatever it was. And so, you know, after that, we didn't have, I was like, I don't want the background noise of a television. We did not have television. We did not have cable. 20 years, we never had cable. You know, we didn't even have a television. Finally got one from my dad so I could put in like DVDs so my youngest daughter could watch, you know, little videos. And uh, we, and then that she grew up or my oldest daughter, she didn't need that anymore. And then you can just watch stuff on, you know, the computer now and all that social media. So I'm like, why do you need TV? But my point is I care about my home environment being peaceful. I don't want a lot of like jabber or, you know, I I would rather just have complete silence, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that energy, whatever it takes, like the, um, you know, looking, I have to fold my laundry. I'm looking at my laundry. That's stressful to me. It's in my room. You know, it needs to get done after my schoolwork probably. But, and so even if I see things that are disheveled or whether it's in my house or in my life, that takes peace away. And so we put energy, I put energy into making my home as much of a oasis as I can be. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need a lot of money. It just means, you know, whatever brings peace. Sure. So where I live, what I do is all centered around that. So I do put a lot of energy in that. And just life is hard anyways, for most people, life is difficult. I think for a night, like any little bit of chaos or instability, eats at us a little bit more and maybe that's why we're exhausted. Right. Um, When you use, you use this quote from Suzanne in, in your book and um, the uh, nines have the least energy because they try to keep in anything that's going to cause trouble and try to keep out anything that's going to steal their peace. 
Yeah. And like that, that description of that inward outward battle is like, like we, we don't want to do anything that's going to cause conflict. And we also don't want to let anything in that's going to disrupt what's happening inside. Mm-hmm. And so it's this, yeah, this give and take battle constantly. And that can come off neglectful to other numbers. Like, I mean, I don't know your situation, Jeff, but like someone's talking to me, you know, and they're intense or stressful and, you know, inside they might be, t- again, I might just peace out. <laughs> I might just peace out. Like, go ahead you keep talking to me and I'll just wait it out until you're done. You know, I'm talking about someone that's mm-hmm. co- co- confronting right. and maybe really negative, or it could be a family member and it's, they just want to work something out. Right. But if it's, depending on how people come, come at you, you're using all that energy trying to keep it from coming in, you know, straight into your heart. And maybe you need to hit you. (laughs) Right. No, that makes sense. The, the piece that you're bringing into that situation is not going to be the intellectual response to the claims that they're making you being a body type, they're coming at you with energy and you're like, the thing that needs to get solved here is your terrible energy. And so I'm just going to create some Zen for you. you get out your stuff and then, and then we'll move forward perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to ignore it and go to my happy place, which also takes <laughs> a ton of energy. <laughs> It takes pl- uh, energy to go to the happy place? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. So it, like, it's a few blocks away? What's the story there? Don't worry about it. <laughs> my happy know about place. This happy- <laughs> it's my happy place. <laughs> I'm going to show up one day with a six-pack. Where's <laughs> the happy place? <laughs> hey, uh, Marlena? Yep. No decision is a decision. Right. I like that line. Yeah. Yep. No decision is a decision. Yeah. Uh, give me, give me the, give me the skinny on that. I mean, that was what I was talking about school or whatever. I'll give you a real recent example that I didn't even write in the book. Uh, you guys are one of the first to hear it. So I was having a conversation with my husband, Sean, about something in our life, not against each other, not with our family, but just a situation that we're like, you know what? Like I've been talking to him about this for years and it's not about him. It's like something I don't want to say too much about it because I'm, I'm not sure. But what I'm trying to say is like a decision I need to make in my life about a direction. I'm not talking about school. And then I said to him, I'm kind of tired of talking about this. I think the reason why I haven't moved on it, I'm like, well, this, this might hurt people. I don't want to hurt them. And even though it's not a bad thing, they might feel rejected. I, I feel like I need to pivot at a point in my life, but I've been taking everyone else into consideration, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone outside of my family. And then I said to him, I do not want to be having this conversation in five years. And Hmm. we are going to be having this conversation in five years if I don't do something about it soon. Mm -hmm. Because I've been talking to him about it for more than five years or like Mm -hmm. five years. So it's going to be a decade here soon. And five more years, it will be like a decade. So I was really serious. Like the other day, it had nothing to do with like New Year's Eve resolutions or anything like that. I'm like, in five years, I'm not going to be having this conversation. And so I know that uh, because I haven't made a decision, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like flirting with it. I'm like, yeah, maybe. uh." Um, And I think it's like more who I am about, you know, in a situation, I'm like, just own it, Marlena. This is who you are. Um, Now, how do you get to that? You know, you're gonna have to make some decisions about getting to that place that's consonant with who you are on the inside and having it correspond to the outside. 
you know, because I want hmm. internal and external correspondence. And also talk about peace. If there's not correspondence between who I am on the inside and who I'm on the outside, lots of conflict for me. Yep. That's for other nines. I want to be who I am on the outside. And so it's too hard to put on a mask and be someone else. So I feel like there's an area of my life, not that I'm putting on a mask, but I'm not quite being who I am down deep down. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's why I said to him, no, you know, you said no decision is a decision. If I keep putting this off in five years, I'm going to be very upset with myself <laughs> and, you know, it involves other people, but I've already had no decision. You know, I haven't made a decision. I've talked about it. La, la, la. You know, I think this is, and again, it has to do with me. And maybe Sean, it depends, you know, if he wants to go along the same way. But if I don't do anything about it, that's the decision. I'm not doing it. You know, I'm going to keep having that conflict of my insides, not, uh, or, or my inner life, not necessarily. I feel like I'm getting myself into a hole here as a nine. <laughs> I feel for a lot that most of my inner life corresponds. Like what you see is what you get. But there's one area of my life where I see, think, don't think it's completely there. And that I've been bothered by that. And mm. so I'm not doing just for outer correspondence. I, I think I'm moving more towards who I am and how God has made me. So I did say to him, he's like, yes, I know. I know. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. He's like, and that's when I said, I do not want to have this conversation in five years because I don't know, will I be around in five years? I don't want to live my life with regret. And so I think if I don't move, I will regret it. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm trying to figure out the contingencies. Like, will this work? Will it be good for us? You know, yada, yada. And those are things that I don't know until I do it. Right. And so I, you know, and so I, I think I hemmed and hawed a little bit too much with school, but at the same time, I wouldn't change my life. And this other thing, I'm hemming and hawing and no decisions being made until I take that action step. Right. And there's concrete steps I need to take. And so. Boom. Yeah. For a lot of nines, that that sort of mask is actually on the inside. It's mm-hmm. uh, nines will often be unaware because we, we are asleep to ourselves. We'll be unaware yeah. of what we want, yeah. what we want to do. And so it's really easy to let the outside just sort of go with wherever we are, whoever we're with, or we, we essentially merge with other people and let decisions be made for us. Mm Um, I was watching a show where, uh, recently where one of the characters essentially described his decision-making process as putting off the decision long enough for the universe to make it for him. Mm-hmm. And yes. and it's like that. That's what a lot of us do. And and yes. we the mask that we're wearing is actually internal. We're we're unaware of who we actually want to be. And so reconciling that. So so the work there is becoming aware of who we want to be, and then doing the work of letting that outward mask start to dissipate, and and starting to act and take care of ourselves and love ourselves enough to know that our decisions matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I like, yeah, I like how you said who we want to be. And I would agree with that. And I would add, maybe it's just who we are and we just yeah. didn't know. Right. Right. Like, right. So we want that, who we want to be to correspond on the outside. So, yeah, I think that's a way, a great way of putting it. I think you put it so well. I didn't put this together, but this pushes into affect. The three, six nines are all pragmatists who can attach to others, but they all have the ability to lose themselves. Yeah. For the sake of what they crave, the three Mm -hmm. 
is attaching for the praise, but will conform themselves to those who give them the praise they want. And sixes will conform themselves, yeah, to the those who will give them the the security that they want. I hadn't thought of this in terms of nines in the merging. Mm-hmm. I hadn't put merging as a attachment kind of move, but would that be what's going on there? Oh yeah. I think so. Like you can attach to, it can be a bad relationship and you merge with them and then like, why, you know. why would, why would you stay connected in a bad relationship as a nine? Well, cause you don't want to cause conflict by getting out of it. Cause it's oh, easier. Sure. Yeah. Well, is it, so it has nothing to do with control then at that point you're pushing or you're controlling the calm. I think it's kind of like you think, well, when I was in high school, I stayed in relationships I should not have been in much mm-hmm. longer than I should have been in because, well, I tried to push and get out. No question, whatever, Marlena, you're, I mean, this has a lot of intersectional things, but like, yeah, just cold feet or whatever, you know? And then I'm like, so I stick, cause I didn't rocking that boat, you know, it causes so much conflict. You hurt the other person. And so you don't want to go through what it, the conflict that it takes to get out of it. And so you can attach to someone that's healthy and stay with a hun- unhealthy. It could be a work, work environment too. You can stay in an unhealthy work environment a lot longer because you just internalize it, the, the conflict and you think, or I can make this work, or maybe it's with me, or I don't want to cause the conflict. The conflict that's necessary to get out of this, I'm more scared of that than being in this bad situation. Yep. And so I think that that's unhealthy for nines, you know, like you need to like a car that um, is maybe stuck in a or rock it out. You know, you need to rock that thing out, out of there. Um, but it's easy to get into a rut. And I think nines probably stay in bad situations a lot longer, maybe than some other numbers would. Is, like, out here. <laughs> is there something beyond the specific relationship with the specific person that is, in traditionalists, the fear of disconnection is going to be associated with nines. You're in a specific relationship with a specific person, but if you were to break up with that person or move out of that relationship, is that actually about something bigger, about feeling disconnected from from other things? Or is it or or do those go together? Those might not go together. I may just be slamming. Or those even people. from that person. Like they're they're even the disconnection it, it may from an be individual unhealthy, still, but it's still a connection uh, and, and the, the disconnection there is still, is still something that is fearful. But I also think that our, our past orientation plays a big role here mm-hmm. because this unhealthy, but familiar thing is way more appealing than the potentially healthy, unfamiliar future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no so, idea what that's going to be like. I know exactly what this is, even if it's bad for me. So Marlena, you put a, you had a post that talked about fear in these terms that anxiety manifests itself in, in that exact way, that it's more about a fear of loss. I hadn't put it alongside the unknown. I'm sure all the types have fears, but is that, is that the, you write, a basic fear of ours is loss or being disconnected. In this case, it manifests as a fear of losing my family and my life and everything that makes up my life. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, they say nines and I would say you're creatures of comfort. 
you know, um, especially in a world that's so chaotic, you like to have things anchored. And I mean, that's not always, nothing certain, right? Um, but those familiarities, a few things that you can anchor to is good. And so I do think, yeah, that loss, it could be both of those things. Like you feel like being disconnected from that specific person or the life that you knew, because uh, this is not really a current reality for me right now, but just speaking about, you know, what, what I was talking about in the past is that, well, that just will upend your world, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And so you have to believe that there's something better beyond it. And so I really do think that nines, while we bring comfort to people and maybe comforting, sometimes it could be at our expense, oftentimes at our expense. And there's a self-neglect. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about that alongside the strong impulse of nines for self-preservation, that there's both the self-preserving side and there's the self-neglecting side. Those seem to be opposites, but I imagine there's a through line here, yeah? In in the book, you wrote, you wrote that the second strongest instinct of nines is that of self-preservation. Yeah, yeah. And so, again, when you should move forward, um, I think it's like, you know, the, was, it the, was it the second law? No, no, the, the inertia. Like, if things are okay and we can deal, you know, familiar, it doesn't know, always motivate us to move forward. It's like when the p- conflict gets really great, we might move forward. But mm-hmm. again, we want to preserve what we have, the life, what we know, the familiarity, the peace, and upending those things, even though there's you know, maybe unhealth at a job or in a relationship at a church or whatever, upending those things makes you feel like you're in a free fall and that's um, lacking connection. And so um, I think that, I think self-neglect and self-preservation, it could be, they can go hand in hand because you might be neglecting yourself for other people um, in some twisted way that could be self-preservation. But Sometimes we don't move forward when we need to because we want to preserve the status quo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that makes sense. And I might have, I'm thinking aloud here. So um, please feel free, TJ, sure. or to jump into. No, I totally agree with that. I, th- I think that um, preserving the status quo is probably a better way to say it than self-preservation mm-hmm. because oftentimes preserving the self does not mean preserving the status quo. And I think it's our instinct is higher to maintain the status quo than it is to, because that our, our past experience leads us to believe that this is a place where even if it is unhealthy or bad for us, this is known. Therefore mm-hmm. I am safe here. Yep. Yeah. The, the the safe known toxicity yep. <laughs> you know, like I can deal with this which is not true by the way um, right. that abuse can happen but that's some in some twisted way we might be nines might be prone to that and they we they if there's someone listening please get out if you're in an abusive or toxic situation right. now's the time to move yep. <laughs> not yesterday probably was if you can in a safe yeah. way and so I don't want to make light of that because we can find ourselves in a quandary is there anything else to be said about sloth on that side of things that, um, if you, if you think about sloth and what we've been taught slow to move, you know, like literally the sloths, they just kind of hang out in the tree and stuff grows mm-hmm. on them. I, I mean, I'm not in love with that, you know, and you know, that's probably your number, right? Cause when you hate your vices, but that slow movement, it could be literally 
physically, like we were talking before, physically slow. They say, you know, some nines are, but maybe not nine eighths as much because we may be more assertive, but slower to move forward. I, I think that's, it could be, I mean, it could be good and could be bad, right? Because some people, I mean, they're like, okay, let's burn everything down right now. <laughs> let's burn it all down and rebuild. Nines are like, no, hold up. Right. I mean, it just it depends on the situation. I mean, it could be good and it could be bad. But um, I think when it regards to ourselves, if that's our natural inclination, there's the vice, you know, we need to move forward. Yeah. And that's getting to the heart of true slothfulness. Like it's really easy to describe the the this sort of stereotype of sloth is is not it doesn't encompass its its heart. True slothfulness has to do with not caring about the things that are important. Mm-hmm. And and that can and often does, especially for nines, that can include ourselves. Mm-hmm. So if we don't care for ourselves enough to take the steps needed to say get out of toxic relationships or, or do things that are good for us, like exercise. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is what slothfulness is. It's not necessarily being slow or couch potatoes or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's not caring about things that are important. Mm-hmm. Talk about caring about things that are important in the lives of others, because uh, one of the sections of your book, you talk about the nine's ability to communicate to others in a way that makes it more palatable mm-hmm. for their own life change. You write, one of our strengths as nines is the ability to present the hard to swallow with a spoonful of sugar. We really do have an uncanny ability to make the medicine of tough realities go down. That's been my experience with nines. It's not that you don't see the broken thing, the hard thing, the thing, um, the, the thing where things are out of joint that are the opposite of shalom perhaps. Um, you have an uncanny ability to see those things. It's the action of saying, I'm going to speak. But when you do start to speak, you do realize that you you have a superpower here to actually affect change, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in that story I tell about, I confronted a man. My brother was with me. I think Sean, Sean might have stayed home with my daughter. He might've been watching her so I could go do this. I think when my daughter, it was just when we had our daughter, Ileana, who's now 13. But I was like, with someone I knew, like this was a real personal thing. I'm like, okay, does your wife know you're here? Cause he was having an affair or, or at least an emotional affair. I'm like, would you, I was like, I need to talk to you cause this is not right. <laughs> and, and it was really hard. It wasn't like I took joy and I didn't want to make someone feel squeamish, but I just confronted him. I said, this is wrong. Does your wife know you're here? And to the the woman involved, I said, just think about it from his wife's perspective. If she knew that he was here with you. And it was so egregious that I like, I needed to say something and that I got the courage, you know, to like, and my brother, yeah, I know my, my, yeah, my brother Kenny was with me and in my mind right now, I'm conflating two situations, but my brother Kenny was like with me and he's like, I cannot believe you said what you said, Marlena. And you said it in like such a nice way. Like I, it needed to be said, uh, it needed to be done. Cause I felt like, kind of like, you know, that anger welling up in me, not like, but like I felt a fire inside when I was saying it. And my husband's John's like, I cannot believe you get away with the things you say to people. <laughs> you know? Like I could never get away with that. I'm like, well, you just lay out straight arguments, but you know, I might do it on a personal level. And so 
when I do speak up, even now people will say, like, I've had people say, you know, you're like a, a velvety firecracker, like that spoonful of sugar, different metaphor. Um, like people have publicly said, like, man, you say that so graciously. And I'm like, well, I'm glad it came out gracious because inside I'm livid, right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. I'm, I'm sweating just thinking about having that conversation that yeah. you're describing. Like I, I don't have to have that conversation and I'm nervous thinking about you have like that, you having that conversation with someone. Yeah. And, uh, I think that part of that is definitely your own personal maturity Sure, Part sure. of it is for sure your eight wing, yeah. but also the the fact that uh, the, part of it is is this inherent gift in all nines, and and that's what this post was about is that that we because like we're at the crown, we're at the top of the enneagram, we see all the other numbers. Um, the enneagram is about the nine ways of seeing, and we have this innate ability to help others see what the other side sees. Mm -hmm. So it's not just that this man's affair was wrong and you need to confront him about it. It's you need to see this in a different way. Right. If you think it's okay, does your wife know that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think too, is um, at for nines, I think people know, like I am not out to get you here. Like, right. I'm not like, I'm not getting any jollies out of confronting you. Right. Maybe that peacefulness, that, that uh, I want to say that humanity, uh, the ability to be humane mm -hmm. for nines. Like I am not out to get you, to take you down, to prove a point. I'm like really concerned about this situation. Right. And I think as nines too, like maybe, you know, like I'm, I know exactly where I was. I was at a McDonald's, you know, and I have that in my mind, the situation. And I mean, as I'm talking, I'm looking, I'm looking at him and her and sizing up with their responses. So I'm acclimating all the while that it's all happening. It's not like right. I did not go in there with a script. Right. And I'm going to talk about this and then I'm going to acclimate. Um, I'm going to acclimate myself again, merge and figure out how it's the best way to say it. Right. Now, um, Suzanne's to be able to kind of push back on me on this as an editor. And, she and doesn't I'm, do that. In a nice way. <laughs> but is there ever a situation where this has happened to you and it has not turned out well, Marlena? You know, I said, but as I said, listen, I've lost, we've lost, Sean and I, we've lost our positions for confronting bad things. It's not like it all turns out rosy. You know, right. like the world is good when you are a whistleblower in a situation. And I have been, my husband has been in the same workplace. I did not work out well. Right. No, no it, people did not come to their senses, no matter how kind I might have been. Right. Um, and so I had to take, I took the fall for that. And I, it's because it was, again, I wanted to live with myself. Right. But um, so, yeah. And then sometimes, obviously, again, with my own husband, if I communicate that he's incompetent, it's not going to turn out well. Right. Right. So, right. So, I mean, yeah. But I think that nines can. That's why we're like the diplomat. Like, we can say really hard things. Uh, I know TJ was like, I do not want to hear sweating thinking about that situation. But even a nine one, you we can say hard things and it's usually well received because of some way of the way we communicate. I'm mm -hmm. not really sure what all's at work in that, but um, people have said that to me even on social media. Like, I can't believe you said that. Like, so graciously, I would have been whatever, something else. Mm -hmm. Well, in, in, in our core, we know this uh, and it's, it's hard to 
it's not always easy to live from this, but, but the truth is sometimes hard things need to be said and the person who needs to hear it isn't ready or willing. Right. And, and we, we can do our best to communicate in a way that's, that's gracious and generous and also firm. And that person doesn't want to hear it. Right. And sometimes it leads to really great, like someone stops having an affair. And sometimes it leads to a total break in a relationship where you might get fired from the job where you're trying to call out bad behavior. Yeah. 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 And the truth is we can't control how other people hear it. We can just do our best to communicate what needs to be said. Exactly. You want to talk about the radar for justice for nines on that front? It comes across so much clearer in eights and ones, but it's certainly there for nines. Yeah. Yeah. um, So with a one wing, you know, uh, ones care about justice, the eight wing challenge. And so we're kind of like in the middle. And I think we see how the world's supposed to be. We're idealists and we see, okay, this is going on and this ain't right. And again, we talked about, it could be a lot harder for nines to come out and say it or do it because they know too, but they have to get the courage to do it. But I do think is there, I mean, that's, we, you know, the, we have the eight on one side and the ones on the other that, it's there. It just needs to, um, I mean, a lot of there's that withholding again. I'm thinking about your body. I think a lot of the things for nines are held into their body because they don't want to cause conflict. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you see injustices, you need, you want to do or say something, you might do it quietly. Like I I can think of some, like, I am thinking about a man right now, like, and we said before that nines a spectrum. I think, I mean, he's like one of the quietest people I've ever met in my life. Like a wonderful person that I, I am associated with in certain circles and he doesn't say much. And I'm like, uh, we had a conversation among some friends. I'm like, that's the most I've ever heard him say in my life, like mm. for like half an hour. But he's always giving to justice causes. He mm. might, you know, share information. He does not manifest justice in the way that I might as an eight wink, but he definitely cares. And he's starting to see like, this is the kind of person I am. I've pushed back for so long because of my family, the people around me and the influences, because I don't want to hurt them. But I see that this is important to me. And he's starting to realize it for him. It doesn't manifest the same way as it does in my life. But as a nine, I see he's slowly doing that. And he does it behind the scenes. Because a lot Mm -hmm. of things nines do is behind the scenes. Yeah. So there might be a leader out front, but the nines like the justice whisperer to them. (laughs) We don't necessarily want the attention. We might, we're the advisors, you know, or the referees to them. So we're like, okay, the president of the United States, I'm on the cabinet. (laughs) You know, I'll I'll, I'll make the calls. I might not be the president of the United States, but I'm one of the advisors, important advisors. Yeah. You got thoughts on that, TJ, with nines and justice? I think a big part of it is just that, that we can see the others a little more clearly it's easy to see other people who are hurting. It's, it's mm-hmm. yeah, because our, our focus is, is outward and in that way. Yeah. If I, if I was drawing the lines from your nineness to a uh, prophetic experience, it would be back to that idea of Shalom that you have a very clean understanding of here's where things are bent or out of shape. And they, mm-hmm. and if you're able to speak with clarity, into those spaces, you're saying, here's where 
I don't want to say order needs to be brought, but this is where where the the peace and, and healing, the reconciling needs to take place yeah. in spaces X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You do want to say that this is where order needs to be brought, but we want to say that this is where peace needs to happen. Yeah. Or you, yeah. yeah, I want to <laughs> yeah. say order. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's and I think that's the 891 side of things, the justice-orientedness, I think of that, those three types comes out in that way. It comes out in this movement towards systematizing and ordering for the one, towards healing for the nine. And how would you say it for the, the eight is, is, is aware of what's broken and what's speaking. Yeah. It's not just the challenge. Systems. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. Well, close on one of your exercises was talking about how things can just be going badly and you're not feeling the way you want to. You might not be in the environment that you want to be in. And the hard word for nines at times is to offer up life as it is. I that was a beautifully constructed meditation that I'm simply in this space that isn't my favorite, but I'm still going to offer up life as it is, I imagine, to do the thing that needs to be done in this moment. Yeah? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, this, again, doesn't have to do with abusive situations, but basically show up and offer life as it is. And so I think the word for nines is to show up to our lives and to engage. We talked about earlier and use the gifts. And again, we earlier we talked about nines as wallflowers, but we can be great leaders. And when we start really coming home to ourselves and owning who we are, then I think that gives us the confidence to step out and lead in the only way that we can, just like any of the numbers can, you know. But we, we can throw our hat into the ring of being engaged and being uh, one of the leaders because we have all of this stuff internally. We just need to externalize it in the world. Mm. She's Marlena Graves. Her book is 40 Days of Being a Nine and fine bookstores everywhere. Um, they're, these are uh, wonderful books like the, the texture, quality, um, mm-hmm. weight, these books are structured to be 40 different meditations. And so they're, you can go through them slowly and work through them as an exercise. Just fantastic books. You got any thoughts? They probably make a great gift too. For, That's right. From nines to people who need to know more about them to nines who need to be know more about themselves by all the books. Boom. Well, uh, I'm having a hard time transitioning to our outro, but it's fantastic <laughs> having you. Yeah, um, Marlena, this has been a pleasure talking you've been to you. very thoughtful and engaged yourself, so it's been a real joy. Wonderful. Um, where can they find your stuff? You have I, – I misspoke. I said that you have two books. I was taking, taking away. You have four books apparently. And I was assertive and told you. <laughs> you are Because you are a healthy human being. <laughs> I would not have done that. um you could i'm sorry you can go to marlenagraves.com marlenagraves.com and you can find everything there bang you're putting on your three as well you must be feeling secure in our podcast i'm uh letting people know you made me feel secure you're good at that good Hey, friends, it would mean the world to us if you pause, take two seconds, and write us a brief review. Give us some stars on your podcasting platform of choice. Um, You can find all the links to all of our stuff at aroundthecircle.org. 
if uh, did, Marlene, did you say this? I missed it. Did you say that they, they can find you on social media or anywhere? Uh, I said Marlena, uh, MarlenaGraves.com, but yeah, I'm um, at Marlena Graves on Twitter, and it's similar on Instagram. Thanks. Best thing you can do is share this episode with uh, somebody that you love, preferably a nine who um, is looking for an entry point. This, hopefully this will be a good place to just get into this kind of conversation, but uh, you got anything else there, Teach? I got nothing. This is TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. Marlena Graves, it has been a, a huge pleasure to have you. Your presence has mattered so much to our podcast today. I mean, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. And I'm Jeff Cook. And who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are. Morning will come burning. 